I hope you have something to write on. I thought if it's if your device, that's fine. Pen, paper. There, I don't mind on those connect cards in the seat back pockets. Uh, you can take one of those or grab a pen or something. That that would be fine. Uh, because I truly believe that this morning that the Holy Spirit is going to say something to you individually that you need to walk out of here with that word that he has spoken for you. God is very personal and his spirit knows exactly what you need and he will speak to you accordingly. So come with anticipation, right? Be, be listening with anticipation what it is that um, the spirit of God might be saying to you. So John chapter two, this is fascinating. We do know that Jesus spoke in parables, meaning he would... He says this, he goes, Any, anybody who heard a parable might not fully understand what it is, but people who had ears to hear, a spirit of understanding would understand what the parable meant. But I do believe that he also did that as with his actions, his miracles, and the actions that he had, had a deeper meaning than just what took place. Actually, because remember, he, we learn in John chapter 1 that he is the beginning. He was part of creation. He was the creator. So he is from beginning in time, this Jesus who then came to earth as a man and then helped us understand what this kingdom of God is all about. And he starts to unfold his ministry. So John chapter one, we learned the importance of being in God's word. How many people, I'm going to ask for a show of hands. Were in, how many people read the Bible this week? Raise your hands. Good job. Well done. Give yourself a big hand. Now, this week, keep going, right? And maybe if it's one time this week, I, I know you just raised your hand because you opened your Bible right now, right? <laughs> I was in it. I could be honest about it. Um, but be in God's word. It transforms us. It, it reads us as we read the Bible. But here he goes. He begins to unfold his ministry now. So he talks about John the Baptist. He goes, I'm not John. John the Baptist was not the Messiah. John the Baptist was the one who was the precursor. He was the one who came before and prepared the way. And John's baptism, remember, was a baptism of repentance, which means we have sin. And the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, was to take care of sin, to make yourself right with God. There had to be a shedding of blood. And then John the Baptist says, no, 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 sin still, the importance of taking away sin is important, and we need to repent from that. We need to be aware of our sin, but we then need to be aware that we need a savior. We cannot save ourselves. And he talks about him being the lamb of God and the son of God and claim that he's the Messiah. John chapter two, though, then, then we're going to read this together. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also invited with the uh, invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother uh, said to Jesus, um, said to Jesus, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does that have to do with me? My hour has not come. Now, I, I, part of me, I read this as like, is Jesus being disrespectful? No, Jesus was without sin. So he was not being disrespectful. He wasn't saying, calling his, his mother, hey, woman. I'm sure it's just the translation, right? We know that Mary birthed him and she mothered him, but he is, um, he is the son of God. And it's interesting that she, she is kind of like prodding Jesus to, to do a miracle. 
I, I feel like Jesus already knew what he was going to do because I think this miracle that he did is, is way more. This is more than us. Those of you who like to drink wine, you always go to this verse and always say, you know, Jesus turned water into wine. He must be okay with it, right? I would want to say drunkenness is the sin. It's not the drinking of it, but be cautious because some of you might be prone to make that a part of your life that it shouldn't be. But anyways, Jesus turns water into wine. So here he goes. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up with water to the brim. And he said to them, now draw out and some of it and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water now had become wine and did not know where it had come from. Though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called to the bridegroom and said to, to uh, him, everyone serves the good wine first. And then when people have drunk freely and their taste buds are no longer there, then he says, then the poor wine comes. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Canaan in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed him. And after this, he went down to Capernaum and his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. Jesus turning water to wine seems like it's just like Jesus' first miracle, which is powerful in itself. Jesus, the miracle worker, water into wine. Why is this the first one? Again, like a parable, I don't believe that Jesus would just have an action without there a deeper understanding to what that action is. So what do we have here? We have water that's being turned into wine. We have clay jars, jars of stone. By the way, that's a lot of wine, right? 30 gallons. And he saw how many of them? Six. Six times 380 gallons. That's a big party. Water. If you go back to John chapter 1, we realize that John's baptized, which by the way, Jesus himself was baptized by John, which is amazing as he did, as he was submersed under water, uh, the spirit, God spoke and like a dove came from the sky. And this is my son whom I'm well pleased, right? So he's, God is speaking to humanity and saying, this is my son. But, but we're told that John's baptism is the baptism of repentance but then Jesus goes on to say that he's coming and he's going to baptize us with the spirit. Interestingly enough, there, there's a lot of analogies to what wine is in the Bible, but one of them is the spirit. One of them is the spirit. Could it be that, that Jesus was telling us that, that the, the jar and the other interesting thing, every vessel that is talked about in the Bible really talks about our lives. We are the vessel. We're told many times of like, what, what are we held in this clay vessel, right? What is, what is in this clay vessel of ours? And we're also known as the temple of God, which we'll get there in a moment, but what is contained in this vessel? And so here we are. I believe that he's talking about, we are the vessel. 
And the water that first comes in is, is okay. The, the, the water which represents repentance, repentance from our sin, that's good. And that's the beginning of our journey. You know, so today I was thinking about, is there more to life than this? Have you ever asked that question? Is there more to life than this? And I think Jesus begins to answer that question for us by first and foremost understanding our journey in knowing him. And first the acknowledgement of understanding that we, we have a problem. And the problem is, is we have a sin problem. We don't like to talk about sin an awful lot because one, it's not fun to talk about. But number two, it's, it's just like, oh really, are we going to talk about sin? But I think when we come face to face with understanding that we have sin and sin is a problem, it separates us from God and we aren't capable on our own to rectify this sin. That Jesus, when he comes and he says that he went on the, to the cross for our sin, he was the sacrifice for us when he was beaten and crucified. He did it willingly now, mind you, he was like, Father, if there's another way, please take this cup from me, right? If there's another way, please, can we do this another way? And God says, this is the way. And Jesus said, I, I will do it because I love people. I love people. I'm willing to take the sin of the world on my back on that day. He was crucified. And so, so when we begin to, to understand the first part of our journey of, of, of asking ourselves, is there more to this? We have to identify that, that we have sin and we have a sin problem. And sin always causes us to, to do things that are not, that don't bring us life, that don't bring us freedom, that don't bring us happiness. It usually brings pain and destruction. And we know that we have an enemy that will play on our sinful nature. His job is to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus says he's overcome the world and he's overcome that sin and he's taken care of that sin for us once and for all on the cross. Amen. That's good news. That's good news. But the news doesn't stop there. See, see the, a lot of times we, we will say, hey, it's important to come to Christ and we talk about our sin problem and then we talk about what he's done on the cross, but then we end there and that's not the full story. The full story then goes in to say, you know what? There is a latter wine that is the best wine that comes after the water of repentance. And the wine is the wine of the Holy Spirit that Jesus says it was good for him to go. So when Jesus died on the cross, he went to the tomb, right? And for three days, he, he was dead. And three days, he rose again. And then he was seen by many for 40 days, on earth, in his resurrected body, he was seen that he was, people identified him as Jesus who came back to life. But Jesus says it is good for him to go. Why? It is good for him to go because he is going to send his Holy Spirit, the comforter, the one that will actually, in First in Timothy, I'd love, actually, um, in Matthew, which one is it? I got to figure it out. Oh, here it is, 2 Corinthians. That's the one I want. Here we go, 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay 
to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not into us. We were afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our bodies. Here we are. There's that jars of clay. And he says the latter wine, the, the wine that he wants to give us is the wine that allows us to give us power, a sound mind, love. Think of this thing, the fruit of the spirit and the gifts of the spirit. Those are things that Jesus gives us. And he says, it is good that he goes. And so we can actually be containers of the Holy Spirit. See, the interesting thing, we're still in, we're in these jars of clay. And when we receive Christ into our life, we actually get his Holy Spirit, this wine, this new wine that brings actually life, freedom, wholeness, purpose. The, the gifts of the spirit, um, there's a lot of them. Knowledge, wisdom, understanding, prophecy. Um, there's fruit of the spirit. Oh, there's so many. There's fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. I missed one. I know. Faithfulness. Did I get them all? So, so the question is for you about purpose, where are you in the journey? Maybe you haven't even come aware with your sin in your life. And maybe you haven't even realized that, that, that this, you just kind of, well, like this is life, right? These are the things we do. This is human nature. And, and you've never even thought of your sin. And so today you're thinking of the sin that the Holy Spirit is convicting you of, of just kind of like the things you've been doing. And, and Wow. And that, so the response to that is repentance, is, is Jesus. I need a savior. I need you, Jesus, who, who took care of my sin on the cross. So you start there. And then maybe some of you are, are living the life of repentance. That's great. But now you don't, you don't have the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, the, the, the better wine that he wants to give you. You might have asked Jesus into your life, but then you're realizing, and, and the way you can figure this out is really easy. It's like, how is the fruit of the spirit doing in your life? How's your joy? How's your love? How's your peace? How's your patience? Oh, that's a good one. How's your gentleness? How's your self-control? How is your faithfulness? And then you're realizing, okay, wait a second. I need to work on these things. Okay, it's not by your flesh you're going to work on that. You just need more of his spirit inside of you to allow that to be manifest through your life. And so you might be saying, in this vessel, this jar of clay that I, my life is, Holy Spirit, come fill me afresh every day that I might live and manifest the things of your spirit in my life. So that's interesting that he, he begins to, his very first miracle tells us really actually part of his, his story of repentance, a water baptism. And water baptism, if you've never been water baptized, I would encourage it because you're really modeling to everybody around you that, that you once were this way. You've died to your old self. Repentance is, by the way, not only turning from sin, it's turning from sin to Jesus. Repentance is, is if you don't turn to Jesus after you repent, all you're doing is just trying to be a better person. 
And you can't save yourself and you can't be good enough. We need Jesus who is going to be our savior. He is our propitiation. (laughs) There's a big word. He is the one that stands in the gap for us. He took our place that then we can have a right relationship with God. He is the one that makes um, us righteous. He's the one who makes us right. Okay, now interesting. First miracle, now he goes into the temple and uh, causes some destruction. Now, we might just say we like this about Jesus. Not only the first part we say, like, Jesus turned water to wine, but this, this one where he turns the tables over in the temple, we like this. We show that Jesus has righteous anger. And we like to identify that when we get angry. We're like, that's righteous anger. But, but what is he really saying here? Like the first one, he, he has this underlying story that he's telling us in his actions. So re- read this. We'll read this together. I guess I go back to John here. Here we go. The Passover of the Jews was at hand. This is verse 13. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem into the temple and he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there and making a whip of cords. He drove all, drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen and he poured out the coins of the money changer overturned the tables and those, and he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written zeal for your father's house would consume me. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple in three days. I will raise it up. Remember, he's, again, for some talking code, but this made him so mad. But really, he was talking about his own temple. It's important that he, he, he talks about this because this story actually is talking about our temple. But he says, destroy this temple in three days, I will rise it, uh, it will be raised up. And talking about his resurrection. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple. Basically go on and make an argument saying, Jesus, you're a nut job. And um, what are you saying? Interesting though. He comes into a temple. He sees people that are taking advantage of the situation. It's Passover, so um, the temple would be busy. And remember, back in the time, Jesus hadn't been crucified yet. So the idea of animal sacrifice was still the, um, the method for making yourself right before God. But they're money changers. So they're like, okay, bring your change of money so you can buy and sell your sacrifice. And that was the deal. You got to go buy your sacrifice there to make things right. And it was, it was really about um, the greed or the money that was taking place that Jesus had a hard part with. Again, remember that, that Jesus tells us that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Isn't it interesting that when he goes in and he turns the table over um, in the temple, he's actually identifying something in human nature that is, uh, is so strong in us. Money. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to symbolically say, as you, the temple of God, you got stuff in your heart that need to be rooted out. 
that need to be chased out of your heart. And, and he's talking about these things in a way that, that foreshadow not only what he has a capability of doing is by his spirit that we have the power to overcome sin. We have the power to root those things out of our life. But he's addressing the very thing that, that he addresses so often, money. The, the root of money, sorry, evil, evil, money is the root of all evil. The scripture tells us money is the root of all evil. Money's not evil. Money's not evil. The love of money. There we go. The love of money. We get the scripture straight. This is why we have a body. We encourage one another. Thanks for that encouragement. All right. The love of money is the root of evil. That is actually 1 Timothy 6.10. I should have turned there. there were, therefore, I would have quoted it properly. Properly. All right. First Timothy 6.10. All right. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. Well, let's start a little bit. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through the craving that comes that some have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pangs. Think of it this way. It's like death of a thousand cuts <laughs> if you are pursuing money. And here's what he's saying. He's saying those money changers were really just taking an advantage of a situation and they were trying to gain a little bit more wealth. My question for us is, what are the things in your heart that need to be rooted out? The things that are in our temple, because God says we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and we should be caring about what is in our hearts. So you're saying, well, I don't have a problem with money. So my first question is, let's talk about tithing for a moment. Yes, I'm going there. I'm going there. If you're a guest with us today, you're like, see, that's why I never come to church. Because they're going to talk about money. I just want to let you know, if you're a guest, plug your ears right now. I don't want you to hear this. Well, actually, I do. I do want you to hear. Because, because in the reality is tithing is the very thing that sets our heart free. So I do want you to hear it. But, but what he's talking about is God, he's the creator of all the universe, right? He does not need our money. Do you think that God can create things resources. He can, he, he can create infinite resources. He doesn't need our money, but he needs our heart. And so he's, he's asking things of us. And it's not just money. There's a lot of things he's rooting up, but, but in this story, he addresses money. And I, I think it's interesting. Not only does he first talk about our salvation journey, which is repentance to understanding what he's done. By the way, on the third day, he rose again. And he says, it's good for him to go because the Holy Spirit will come. And by the way, the Holy Spirit gives you the power to overcome, the power to do what's right, the power to be generous, the power to give, the power to not have money have a hold on your life. So, so my question is, how are you doing on tithing? It becomes a question of a reflection of, do you trust God with your life and your resources, or do you still, does it still have a hold on you? See, um, tithing is not a money issue. Tithing is a trust issue. Do you trust that God is going to care for you? Do you trust that God sees you? Do you trust that, that God um, 
has the ability to care for your needs. And he's saying that when we, when we can't go there, we're, we're not in a place of being totally free. And again, he look, he's not looking for do's and don'ts. He's looking for freedom for you. He's looking for your life to be not consumed with the death of a thousand cuts. He says that when you get tempted and when you, when you pursue resources and when you pursue wealth and when you pursue things, it is like a death of a thousand cuts and it, it, it hurts you and it captivates you and it brings destruction in your life. And so, so he's saying, no, 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 I want to root that out of your heart. He takes a whip, he throws over the money table, the, the, the tables of the money changers and he drives those things out. Interesting thing too, he drives out the, the sheep and the cattle. Later that God, he says... He doesn't want sacrifice. What does he want? Not sacrifice. He's looking for obedience. He's looking for obedience. And I think in our journey with Jesus, we move to this place of, okay, I've acknowledged my sin. I I want repentance. In other words, I I acknowledge it. I turn to Jesus, turn away from my sin, turn to Jesus. Then I want the fullness of, I accept Jesus in my life and realize the spirit now indwells me in this, in this temple, in this clay jar of a body. His spirit now dwells inside of me. Now he's going to start doing the work of rooting things out of our heart and that we trust that he's good, that as he roots this out, but you one, sometimes wonder like, well, what do I need to do? I say be in the God's word and then whatever God's word says, be obedient to what's in God's word. Obedience is what creates the blessing for you. I want to be blessed by God. Who wants to be blessed by God? Amen. We all do, right? Be obedient to what God's word says. Be obedient. And I think today, you know, as we really struggle, and I, I was even reflecting on this as well, you know, th- what COVID has taught us is like, all right, you know, do, do our institutions have the right to tell us what to do? Don't tell us what to do. And, and, and I, it's very easy to start feeling like this, your heart making decisions of who do I follow? Who do I not? What, who, who should I, what laws should I follow? What laws should I not? And, and then you realize it's like, okay, well, am I doing that the same way with God, right? Am I saying, I choose to follow this one, but I don't choose to follow that one. Because after all, I know better. After all, I know better. I, I know what's best for me. But do we really know what's better? God, the creator who created us knows better. And he's asked us to not only read his word, but to obey what's in and said it. And it will come with a blessing. When we're obedient to his word, it comes with a blessing. So here we are. This is it. John chapter two. He walks us in this journey of, of knowing what it means to come to this place of faith and understand that he has good things inside of us in store for us. He has this beautiful Holy Spirit that oh, he wants to entrust us, our comforter, the one that comes in all truth. I have one more scripture I want to share with you. First Corinthians three sixteen. First Corinthians three sixteen. Did you see what I just did right there? I was going the back of my Bible and on the front of the Bible at the same time to find out which direction I need to go to. I was being sly to try to in a good way, 
Not sly in a deceptive way, in a good way. All right, 1 Corinthians 3.16. I want to read this for us. As John plays for us, to set the tone for this scripture... First Corinthians 3.16 Do you not know that you are God's temple? That God's spirit dwells inside of you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself If anyone among you thinks that he is wise at this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. What he's saying right there is, don't think you know better. Just trust God. See, we we get worked up in our minds so much of the time trying to figure all this out. And this is what faith is. Faith is, is trusting that he's good. Faith is trusting that even though you don't have all the answers yet, that you're putting your reliance in who Jesus says he is. For the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise and they're futile. So let no one boast in men for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos, Cephas, or the world or life or death or in this present or in the future, all are yours and you are Christ's. And Christ is God. You are a vessel of clay. The Bible says that in Jeremiah that, that he takes the lump of clay and he wants to form you and mold you and shape you. This vessel that contains his spirit. Not just a life of repentance, coming face to face with the the own, I would say you'd, you'd get, you grieve over your own sin. And so you turn from that, turn to Jesus, then you acknowledge the work that he's done on the cross, but raising from the grave. That he says it's good for him to go because the promise of his Holy Spirit would come, fill us. And he says so many people think that the former wine is good, but wait till you taste the, the best wine which is the Holy Spirit, his presence dwelling inside of you who will guide you, who will love you, who will give you joy, who will give you peace. It's the fruit of his spirit, not your spirit. And then he's saying, saying, look inside for a moment. Look inside what's in your heart. When you allow Jesus to chase out the things of your heart that you have conjured up in your mind as, as your lists of rights and wrongs. I'm righteous in this way. At least I'm not like them, right? We, we all say that. We all judge ourselves, but at least I'm not like them. But could we judge ourselves according to God's word and allow his word in obedience to his word become a blessing for you? Thank you so much for watching us online. We're so glad that you joined us. We trust that Jesus has spoken to your heart and you've been challenged by his word. 
If you'd like to know more information about Grace Capital Church, please visit us at gccnh.com. We'll see you next time.